exiled prince makes his last stand for the Scottish throne on Culloden Moor. Thank you for joining me in the short history series brought to you by Langsign Publishers. My name is David and I'm a historian based in Edinburgh, Scotland. Over this series, I will delve deep into the Langsign collection, describing the history, tales and folklore of Scotland brought to you by our authors. Today, we arrive in 18th century Scotland to the final bloody battles to take place on British soil. 1745, the 45, would become a defining year for Scotland and the last roll of the dice as the Stuart dynasty attempted to wrestle back control of the crown. The following passage is taken from Folk Tales of the Highlands, written by Gregor Ian Smith. Of all the famous and historic personalities emerging from the history of the Scottish Highlands, that of Charles Edward Stuart, son of James, pretender to the Scottish throne, is perhaps the most colourful. Born in exile on the continent, the prince would be persuaded by Irish exile Sir Thomas Sheridan and Scots advisor Murray of Broughton to sail to Scotland and make a bold bid for the crown. He arrived in the summer of 1745 on a little ship named the Dutel. Losing his companion vessel to a skirmish in the channel, he landed and was met by Macdonald of Boysdale on the island of Erskey in the Outer Hebrides. Go home, advised the chief, who was doubtful of the wisdom of the enterprise. I am come home, sir, replied the young prince, and continued his voyage landing with seven trusted followers at Moidart. At first, it seemed that MacDonald's advice had been wise. The clan chiefs received him with uncertainty, afraid to commit themselves to so uncertain a venture. Even Cameron of Loch Isle held back, but in the end, he came under the spell of the eager young prince. Loch Isle and his 700 clansmen accompanied Charles to Glenfinnan where the royal standard was raised. From then on, success seemed assured. The clans rallied, the Jacobite army began to grow in strength until Lord George, Earl of Murray, the prince's aide-de-camp, commanded a force of 2,500 men and began their march on Edinburgh. Now Sir John Cope, commander of the British army, made a half-hearted attempt to intercept the rebels before turning tail for Inverness. This led the road to Edinburgh open, and in a few days, Charles entered the city. With his arrival, heralds raised their trumpets, and James VIII was proclaimed king at the Market Cross. Cope returned and approached Edinburgh from the east. With his army at the gates, Charles gathered his men and prepared for battle. After a brilliant charge, Cope's men were put to flight by the Highland army, and he himself escaped, only to carry news of the rout to Berwick and the south. But had Charles shown wisdom and followed up his first successes by marching straight away into England, history might have read differently today. For the young prince, he tarried in the city, celebrating his good fortune. And from then on, disaster followed on the heels of defeat until the Jacobite army that had so proudly marched across the border 
almost to the walls of London, was in the end destroyed within an hour on Culloden Moor. Charles retreated to the island of North Uist, but the island was well nigh overrun with soldiers, and he himself carried a price of £30,000 on his head. And it's really to the credit of the islanders that no one sought to reveal his presence. Eventually a lady, Flora MacDonald, came to his rescue. She obtained a permit to land in Skye with her maid, Betty Burke. The prince disguised himself in women's clothes, assumed the name and identity of Betty, and after a perilous journey, reached the Misty Isle. Alas, Skye, like North Uist, was a place of danger. He reached the mainland and concealed himself in a cave. From thence, he made his way over the mountains to Ben Alder. His hiding place would become known as Clooney's Cage, a rude hut built of sticks, hidden in the trees of the mountain. Not until September 1746, five long months after Culloden, did the prince manage to make his way to a ship. He sailed from Scotland, never to return, and would die an inglorious death in the squalor in 1788. Now with his departure came a time of sorrow and humiliation for the Highlands. The clan system was destroyed, rights and privileges taken away, and even the tartan, which the clans loved so dearly, was forbidden as a dress. But the memory of the young pretender, who had come so near to wearing the Scottish crown, and who had endeared himself to rich and poor alike, continued to live long after the last bitter defeat of a bitterly lost cause. Well folks, thank you for listening to this episode, The 45, written by Gregor Ian Smith. I'll be back again soon for more tales from our collection. Don't forget to check out our blog at www.langsignshop.co.uk. Goodbye for now.